We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Indigenous peoples worldwide who are listening in. the Doyen interviews. My name is Bridget and in the fifth episode of this series we'll be chatting to Sayan Pascal, an international yogi who actually started out deeply involved in architecture. We had the opportunity to have a really great chat last year over a Friday afternoon. Instead of cutting out most of the interview and shortening it down, I've decided to split it into a two-part series. I hope you enjoy it. Also, thanks to Anon for the beautiful introduction. Your innovative approach to classical music is amazing. Hello and welcome, Cyan. I'd like to begin with giving you the opportunity to introduce yourself and discuss a little bit about how yoga has become such a huge part of your life. Sure. So I um, began my meditation practice in Year 12 and then, yeah, and that was because I was getting a lot of migraines. Okay. And But that was a pretty kind of potent moment because it got me started on this path. Even though I was doing a lot of creative stuff, it was always there then in the background. Right. So I took a year out after school and then started architecture. And architecture doing my uh, um, degree and master's ended up taking me seven years. I took a couple yeah. of years out I mean, at Melbourne Uni, you've got to take the mandatory year in the middle, but I took a second and I was studying in Copenhagen and ended up living and working in the Netherlands and also in the UK then came back and did some work in Australia. And through this process of studying, I also became pretty committed to my daily yoga practice and it was something that really helped me through architecture school and when I finished architecture I then went on to work for several small architectural firms in Melbourne with the idea that I was going to move overseas Um, and then a few things happened in my life like the death of my dad which meant that I really wanted to stay in Melbourne so those kind of um, those moments where Uh, you know, something happens, but it kind of leads you down a different track. So I stayed in Melbourne and I ended up veering my course into um, practising as an interior architect. And so that was actually a big shift in my career at that time. Moving from architecture to interiors, I thought it was kind of going to be something that was really easy shift, but suddenly I had to think about things in a whole Mm -hmm. different level of detail with a different aesthetic kind of way of, yeah, viewing design. And throughout all of this, I'm practising every day and I'm always wanting to teach. Uh, But a few people had, I think, planted some kind of negative seeds along the way, like why would you teach yoga or you're too smart to teach yoga Mm -hmm. or, you know, some of those things that maybe you're not even consciously aware of. So you think I've got to keep on this path, the one that I'm on. Yeah. And you've studied for seven years. Studied for seven years. Yourself as well. That's right. You've got to work at it. It's not really change, but yeah. Yeah. And... I was working for a design firm and then in the end I ended up opening up my own multidisciplinary design studio in India. Oh, wow. And was that with um, different practitioners or you were involved in multidisciplinary yourself? I did everything. The design studio was called Young Citizens. Okay. And so for me, uh, I was then able to do a whole lot of creative things, which was wonderful for me. You know, I could do the fit out, I could work with structural, I could do furniture, fabrics, tiles. It was this, it was wow. it was all encompassing, which was really amazing for me because that's the kind of designer that I've always been, yeah. more so than just on structure and yeah. spatial planning. And Very tactile. 
Yeah, and, and I think that that um, period where I was working as an interior architect also allowed me that kind of freedom. Mm. Whereas when I was just doing architecture, I felt quite restricted yeah. creatively. Yeah. And at the same time, I was also training over two years with a yoga teacher. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and we had a traditional kind of Indian relationship of like a guru and student oh, wow. where um, I would go to all of her practices. I was learning almost through osmosis just by being around her and then I would teach for her. Oh. So I was teaching and then I was uh, practicing mainly as a creative and an architect and an interior designer. And then there came a point where I just, I got to burnout levels. Yeah and doing everything myself, doing it in another country, not getting paid enough, oh all of the things that can kind of yeah. happen when you're without your normal support networks. Right. And also when you're a type A architect, <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Um, and then I decided I would have a break and do my teacher training and that totally shifted me. Right. After I did my teacher training, that was when... I, I knew that I had to just go into teaching yoga. Yeah. That was just a moment of huge shift. It was a real gift yeah. that came from doing some pretty intensive work. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. how I kind of came into doing mm-hmm. yoga. However, I mean, there was a couple of years, I suppose, or not even that long. It was only probably six months where I was trying to balance the two how can I teach mm. yoga? I have to support myself with my only skill, which is architecture still. Mm. And then I was lucky enough to be hired full-time in a yoga studio. So oh, then great. I could become a full-time yogi. Great. Yeah. And was that yoga studio in India or was that, did you come back to Australia? I came back to Australia, yeah. So it's a yoga studio in Paran. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to be able to work full-time as an employee within that studio for mm. two years, which was just an incredible experience for me because it really galvanised everything that I had been taught in India over two and a half years and it gave me the freedom and the space to be able to teach in a way that really felt true. And it also gave me the time to develop my teaching style in a way that was very consistent. Teaching two classes every single day, two or three classes is a lot. Uh, But it was... It was pretty incredible and I think that um, I'm very grateful to have had that experience. Yeah. Not very many people get to have one studio that hires them full-time, that yeah. they can rely on financially to support them as a yoga teacher. So, yeah, yeah it was... sort of sounds like yoga, in a way, intertwined itself so much into your life. And mm. With yoga, what is it that you're trying to teach people? I mean everything that you would have learnt in design in terms of the tactility and, you know, the beauty of design, especially in interior spaces, is so rich. Mm. Um, Do you find that that translates into your yoga practice or into Mm. people's interior worlds? What are the fundamental um, things that you try to teach people in your yoga or your meditation practices? I really love the way you just framed that. And I think (laughs) that I haven't ever really thought about it in, in that kind of in that way because yeah. for many years in my 20s I couldn't um, I couldn't marry the two they felt yeah. so separate but it doesn't feel as separate to me now yeah. and I think that you're right there is a sense that when I'm doing the work that I'm doing there is it's all about feeling right. and even as a designer so some of the spaces that I created when I was designing myself, which I had full control over, because it was always a little bit different when I was working for somebody else to when I could do my own thing. When I have full freedom, control over all of the decisions, Mm. what I was always creating was a feeling in a space. So, uh, for example, we designed a boutique hotel in Mumbai called Abode Bombay, and there would be certain spaces that would have otherwise felt very dead you know dark spaces old spaces um there wasn't a lot of cross traffic or a feeling of flow but I always had a capacity to bring a feeling of comfort a sensation that you would want to be in every space and that was something that I I really cultivated through my design work pretty consciously even um I did a 
um, design for a handloom weaving school and it was in an old bus shelter. Oh, wow. And I'm telling you, when you went into this bus shelter, you kind of wanted to like jump off the closest bridge because it was so depressing. <laughs> yeah. Awful, you know, like spittle on the walls yeah. from like tobacco and pine and yeah. horrible floors and grease stains. And, yeah. you know, we cleaned it out and turned it in and kind of freshened up this space in a way that the whole community embraced it. And yeah. it's been such a success just by making a feeling of comfort there and yeah. for me in the way I teach yoga I'm very much about creating a feeling for people sure. and that comes from a tantric lineage of teaching and practice that I have been kind of training in the last few years I suppose that I really connected with okay. and the idea behind tantra you could say is to have experiences of say awakening or joy and bliss that are felt through the senses so you really feel it yes. rather than say a buddhist perhaps way of coming into practice which is very much from the mind right. and thinking my kind of practice is one where I want people to experience it so if we're wanting to open up the heart I want you to feel love flooding through your entire body or if it's blissful connection then I want you to sense it and what happens with a tantric practice is you use uh, specific energy centers known as the chakras right. to start to embody this in a felt way yeah so that is a hundred percent how I do it yeah. which I've never thought of before yeah. Bridget is having this <laughs> crossover yeah. um, and on top of that the aesthetic and the beauty is also a really important part of how I create sacred space. Mm. And um, my friend Natalie, who works with me, is also very much into the aesthetic and beauty in allowing us to find uh, ritual too. So uh, she sets up all of the shrines for the sacred spaces that I do. And so we'll often wow. use flowers and water I'll put together fire ceremony and mm -hmm. the gift of using beautiful surroundings is that it changes people's headspace a bit. So taking them out of, okay, a mundane every day, I've got a grey concrete road in front of me, I'm sitting in traffic mm -hmm. and seeing that greyness of life, which is kind wow. of a mundane way of thinking about mm, the world. Very repetitive. There's a, yeah, and that's where a lot of people get stuck in their lives. And right. to be able to walk into a space and it smells beautiful and they've mm. got oils on their forehead and there are flowers there mm. and we have candles and we have crystals, it's uh, something which helps you to step out of all of that heaviness of your life yeah. and come into a space where you feel, I feel so supported by this, something feels completely different in this mm. space yeah. and maybe I can reach a different state of um, consciousness or awareness because yeah. all of my everyday stuff I can leave out of this room because yeah. this doesn't remind me of my everyday. Yeah, it's a phys the physicality of it. It sounds to me like um, one, one thing that you've been able to do is bring in um, objects or yeah, physical environments as a way to ground people or as a way to um, create a space. So it's not just about, you know, what's going on inside someone in terms of beauty, but it's actually physically bringing them into a space and using that physicality to yeah, create that change in dynamic with them. Um, what do you think are some of the ways that young women or young people um, could do that for themselves so in terms of creating a ritual mm -hmm. um that you know separates them from I mean life can be very mundane and I think yes. a lot of people unfortunately or you know it's not always a bad thing but people can get a bit down because of that yes um what would be your recommendations for adding you know adding that beauty to young people's lives well this is huge for me as well because when you can start to create small rituals, even if they're only for a few minutes, there is a shift in consciousness. Yeah. And to be able to start to look with eyes that see kind of a divinity or uh, a kind of a mystical awareness, a beauty, yeah. 
there's this um there's this great quote that I was just using yesterday if I can remember it properly it's we live on a blue planet that circles a ball of fire um and surrounded by a moon that moves water and you don't think that this life is a miracle I mean If you really stop and you look into somebody's eyes or you look around you and Mm. you see a sunset, I mean, when was the last time you saw a sunset or a sunrise? It really only happens on holiday, right? exactly. And um, those moments we can miss in our everyday life. And you almost have to have a discipline of creating beauty and ritual in your own life so that you can start to see what's around you and feel it in yourself. So, I mean, (laughs) what I do is not necessarily um, accessible to everyone because I really have carved out time for myself. Yeah. It's so important for me. So my practice at the moment in the mornings is nearly two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And some people have children and people have busy work lives as well. So. It really depends on what you connect with the most. The first thing that I do is a series of self-care rituals that derive from Ayurvedic knowledge, Ayurveda being the science of life or an Indian philosophy about health and healing. And those are things like dry brushing, using warm oils to massage your body. It's called Abhayanga, which means massage of love. And you heat up the oil. It's so nice to do. And you can use sesame oil or almond oil, coconut oil. And when you are massaging your body, this is before a shower, you're also kind of bringing to mind um, affirmations, positive words, loving sentiments to your own body. And I'm telling you, you do that, even if you did that once a week, it feels so juicy. You're standing in your bathroom covered in warm oil saying really you know kind things to yourself you cannot help but feel sexy and alive and embracing of your own body then you know I'll have a shower and most of the oil kind of washes off and then I do other things like oil pulling which is um, using coconut oil you swish it around your mouth for about 15 minutes and that draws out a whole load of toxins tongue scraping um, and I think that is oh you can also do a neti pot which I occasionally do which is like a nasal cleanse I did learn some of these in India and I also um, had started doing Ayurvedic practices when I was in university because for me I really worked so hard at uni topped everything just oh, kind of work, oh, but, but I mean, but on the at other the side no, of it, just yeah, going, full going and maybe not taking as much, not care listen, as yeah, you. not caring yeah. for myself. And so when I found Ayurveda, it was this awakening moment. Mm-hmm. And so I I started to do those things then when I was about nineteen, mm-hmm. and then they've come back into my practice. And mm-hmm. those um, those small practices I find are really great for women, yeah, especially. Um, I have a full list on the website if it's something that you know you're interested in, yeah, which absolutely. lists everything out but um they're my go-to when I'm especially feeling depleted when I know that I've got to fill my cup up somehow and they take about maybe 20 minutes all up you can kind of do a whole heap of stuff in the shower as well which you're going to have to do anyway after that I then do some like rolling and massage with balls and I just love doing that (laughs) um and then I come into my tantric practice and so For me, that is a series of postures, meditations, and strong pranayama. Pranayama is uh, breath practices which help to create vitality. And I think that especially for everybody, but especially for women, there's a real sense across the board, young and old, of depletion, uh, of drain, of not giving to yourself enough. And the power of pranayama using the breath to cultivate energy is 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 very intense i've seen yeah. it shift people through trauma yeah. get them out of depression i know for me um i when i first came back from india even after doing my teacher training i felt pretty depressed coming back to australia mm-hmm. it was it was it was hard to yeah. shift back into the concrete jungle and where nobody was kind of understanding what 
had happened to me yeah, over there. Way of looking at yeah, and I really relied upon pranayama. So I'd, sometimes I'd wake up feeling pretty depressed. Yeah. I would do a specific practice known as Uddiyana Bandha. Okay. And I could sense my energy shifting after just three or five rounds of that practice. Yeah. So learning breath work can have a really profound impact on you. But, you know, like I said, my rituals start to get pretty intense and I love them so much I could almost spend the whole day doing them but I know that that's not the way life goes and in fact we really need to be able to you know have a little practice even that then extends us beyond our day so even if that is five minutes of breathing and five minutes of meditation or five rounds of Surya Namaskar and then sitting quietly or even if you're just listening to a meditation, a podcast guided from YouTube. I mean, whatever it is, whatever resonates with you, I think the important thing is you carve out that time, especially first thing in the morning because it sets you up for your day and you remain with that practice consistently. Mm. It becomes what's called your sadhana. Okay. So sadhana is a nice word that you would know of from your teacher training. It's your daily spiritual practice and you stick with it and you stick with it for at least 40 days and then you can reassess, okay, I think I need to do more pranayama, I think I need to um, create more time or less time. You can shift and change but to have that time, you're really able to fill yourself up and then experience your day with a kind of a new vision, a new yeah. way of seeing things. A new way of looking at things. I find it very interesting um, that you comment on um, your successes at university and being a type A architect and everything that that um, entails. And I think definitely um, in the architectural profession, you know, there's such a pressure on being the best. I mean, I definitely felt like yes. at university it was either you had a fantastic project and you got great marks yes if you got anything below that for yourself and for others it's very discredited Mm. um and i think that that can be a problem in our industry because we look at things with such sharp eyes where you know and how critical is the whole process of design i mean standing up in front of people my final thesis project i was torn to shreds by one particularly bullying professor at my university and um, nobody said anything. I was fighting back tears for my final project. I mean, what what is that? What's that kind of attitude when you know that every student in the room, they're doing their masters, they are working so hard at it and to come in, I mean, he wanted to take me down basically because I had challenged him in a previous lecture and I had, you know... Anyway, that's another story. But throughout the whole process, it's almost like your work is not good enough and you need to do more. And it creates this, um, a psyche of never being good enough and that you've always got to work harder. And it is so hard to shift. It is almost like a trauma that's created through architecture school. I mean, not to the point of, you know, other ty- other types of abuse. But it yeah. has been very hard for me to shift yeah. out of that way of doing things. And, I mean, I joke, I'm a yoga teacher, but, you know, I manage to overwork myself still. <laughs> I mean, I really can. I can yeah. find a way of doing it in any profession, even yeah. in the one where I'm meant to be so relaxed. Yeah. I, I mean, right now I'm, I'm as busy as I could be, really, uh, and it has to be so conscious in stepping out of that critical mindset, that constant need to do, that constant need to produce and live up to an expectation. Yeah, it's full on in that industry. And when you um, look at people that are at university today, what do you think are some of the mindsets that they could have to change that or do you think it's possible to change that while you're at university because yeah I do look back and I think I looked I I did all nighter for that project and where where is it now what for you know that's it's what what's its um quantity not quality oh that's what it yeah that's what it feels like in architecture school 100 percent well look I haven't been around 
I haven't been teaching at university for a long time. So I, I taught at Melbourne in the years after, so up until I think 2010 or so. So I don't know what's happened in the last eight years with students. But right. all I can say is that to be able to bring in practices like yoga, practices like meditation are huge and self-care. And for me, I was doing all of the Ayurvedic work. So I never had to do an all-nighter. Which is, you know, is amazing. I literally don't know anybody else who finished architecture school without doing an all-nighter. It's almost impossible. But I knew that my health was really at risk. And um, I kept getting sick. And so the problem was, was that it meant that I probably didn't do as much of the social stuff. I wasn't partying. I wasn't drinking with everyone else. And that is the kind of balance that I had to make. Was Mm -hmm. I going to work hard? sleep well, eat well, yeah. or was I going to party, stay up all night, get yeah. sick? Yeah. So I think that I think that people now are so much more open to yoga, mm. to meditation, and I think having that having that as part of a daily routine, I don't see it ever really being part of anything too um, institutionalised in yeah. a university, but yeah. hopefully as well as more women being in the field there being hopefully a different energy yeah especially from lecturers Mm -hmm. um from tutors Mm -hmm. so that people are a bit more supported yeah but i it's really i mean it's really hard culture to break because it extends from university into practice and you see it people work till crazy hours and the quality of work diminishes after you've been working for about eight hours. Yeah. And you, you have to work on it. It's so funny because mm. I have been putting together these booklets for an upcoming training course. Mm. I've been working on InDesign. Mm. And it, it's so funny that we're doing this podcast today because right. it's it really felt to me like the marriage between all of my design skills and what I want to convey as a yoga teacher. But I was sitting there on my computer for four days and I felt like I was back yeah. in the architecture studio. Yeah. And wor- I worked till quite late last night. Yeah. And I thought, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing? This is, yeah. this, it really took me back there. It really reminded me of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember when I went to India, um, I came back and... You know when you when you know when you're in a bad mood or you're tired or you can feel like your body is quite tense and you do a yoga class and after the yoga class you feel great. Yes. I went to India for a month and then by the end of the month I was doing so much yoga I I didn't have that feeling anymore. I just mm-hmm. felt good all, all the, the time. time. Yes. And I came back from India and I started working and everyone was sort of like, "Oh wow, you seem very happy." Mm. And, and I felt so good. And then after like a month, I just it just hit me I don't know if it's that your body sometimes takes a while to catch up like I think Mm -hmm. we're living what's happened to us you know two or three Uh, weeks ago it's not always from yesterday or that day 100% and then one day I was just like oh I feel so bad and then I thought this is must this must have been how I felt before I left but I didn't notice it you didn't because it was so normalized it's normal yes yeah I don't know if there's something in that well yeah look I I, the way I perceive it is that it's all about vibration and at our core, every cell, every atom is vibrating at a specific level and right. our bodies as a whole can be measured in vibration in hertz mm. and every object in the universe has a yeah. vibration to it. Yeah. And the more of the practices that you do, like meditation, pranayama, yoga, mm. the higher you start to vibrate. So right. And that is, in general, a kind of mood-lifting mm. feeling. Yeah. And the less that you do of those things, the poorer the food, the more time you spend around electronics and other frequencies, mm. low-frequency um, waves like internet, yeah. mobile phones, um, everything starts to drop. So yeah. the idea for me always is to be keeping a consistency in my practice because, unfortunately, I can't live in a mountain, yeah. you know, in Rishikesh yeah. or the Himalayas. Yeah. I mean, that's not the way my life path is going yeah. and, and that's not my karma. It's yeah. not what I'm meant to be doing. Right. 
right now anyway. And so <laughs> I need to find ways to lift my own vibration, to lift that energy constantly because yeah. it's so easy for it to drop from right. the food you eat to the pollutants in the air. Mm. And I mean, it can be done through yoga practice. It can be done by going out into nature. I mean, you get away from the city yeah. and you spend a weekend at the beach yeah. and you feel totally different as yeah. well. But if you can't do that and you're living in a city, then you have to do some kind of practice. You yeah. need to find some kind of stillness, a meditation, uh, a practice that mm. is going to keep you lifted yeah. and out of that state. Yeah. But also then I think it's about kind of choosing what is your path? What do you want to be doing on a daily basis? Because it's a choice in the end. Like yeah. I, I came out of... Um, my teacher training and it was at a point in my career where things were actually going really well for me mm. and we were I was getting published and yeah. there was a lot of offers from other hotels and a lot of work coming in and I thought if I go back into this industry it's almost like I am consciously punishing myself yeah okay doing something to hurt myself yeah. I would be going back into a situation where I'm hurting myself and my body right and I looked at that with you know it was hard to to realize yeah that that's what I'm doing for a really long time yeah treating myself really poorly actually mm. by working all the time by um, putting the work and the perfection of the space and the client first before right. my own health needs that was that was kind of confronting after doing it for so many years and yeah. when I stepped away from that it was something that I did in a conscious way to to say hey this is an act of self-love what I'm doing right now yeah. yeah so for me I sort of decided well I want to still be creative and so I moved into ceramics and oh, and great. yeah and doing kind of ceramic art and and trying to find something that was tactile that was away from the computer mm. that you know kind of created a, a lift for me or something that inspired mm. me but it's really hard to get away from computers yeah. and a sedentary lifestyle even for me as a yoga teacher I spend I try and limit it I'm really conscious with it but yeah. I still spend too long I think it's about I think empowering people to be creative in a way that isn't a big drain for them. Thank you, Sian, for um, the beginning of an amazing conversation and some excellent points there. Everyone stay tuned and uh, definitely invite you to listen to the next episode, which will dwell a little bit more into um, discussions about what it means to be feminine um i actually released this episode last year as a full episode um and i was really overwhelmed with the amount of support that i received back about it not just from uh, females but also from males so i feel like the topics that um we and she focused on are really interesting so yeah invite you to have a listen and thank you again sayan to the Doyen Interviews, Episode 6, which is the second part of our interview with Yogi Sayan Pascal. In this episode, we'll delve a little bit deeper into questioning what it means to be feminine. Thanks for tuning in and thanks again to Anon for the beautiful introductory music. Thanks Sayan for joining us for the second part of this interview. I feel like society is in a funny place at the moment because we see assertiveness and strength as characteristics that are male, but I'm sure that there's much more to the story when you look at roles historically. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see femininity as a source of strength that we can tap into and how it could be something that's adopted within the architectural profession and seen in a more positive light. The way I come at it is from a yogic perspective again, which is that we have a masculine and feminine energy within us. Right. And the fact that it's called masculine and feminine can be sometimes problematic for people because they think man and woman. Right. The idea is that the feminine energy, divine feminine or known as Shakti, is present in everyone but is stronger in women. And Shiva energy or divine masculine um, formlessness is also in everybody but it seems to be more prominent in men so it has hence been given masculine and feminine when it is actually an aspect of everyone and all of creation yeah so from a yogic perspective so i'm kind of going to go big and then i'll get small again from the perspective of masculine and feminine energy from a yogic philosophical perspective yeah The masculine energy would be that aspect of existence that is formless. Right. So that would be thought. Okay. That would be space. It would be um, a kind of ideas, creative spark, impulses. Yeah. The divine feminine or that feminine aspect of um, the universe is everything else. Yeah. It is seen as all form, all change and movement. And when you start to then extrapolate both of those um, ideas, that means that a feminine way of being is one which is shifting, moving, changing. The fact that the female body changes in the cycle of a month so dramatically and the male body doesn't. Right. It changes almost like the sun slowly, perhaps over the course of a year. Whereas for a woman, you can have bloated breasts and big stomach for three days of the month. You can suddenly feel emotional, want to cry. And then two days later, a completely different thing is happening physically in your body. That's true. And I mean, when you think about it from that perspective, our bodies literally change. Yeah over the course of 28 days, none of that is built into our culture at all. We're meant to be at all times at an even level of um, emotion, intellect. Our bodies are meant to stay the same. They're always meant to be thin, you know, or whatever it is that's going on. And so basically what has happened is this shifting, changing um, form that is femininity has been very much Mm. suppressed. And this is just one aspect of it in Western culture over the last maybe 5,000 years. And what we face on a daily basis is a very masculine way of living. So it's one that is structured. So I'm going to meet you today, Bridget, at quarter past 11. Oh, my God, I'm running late. I'm so sorry. You know, all of this stuff is a kind of a structure, which is a very kind of masculine. It's directional. It's got a goal in mind. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. If you need to get a job done, then you need to have a goal. You need to have a timeline. I mean, if you're a creative without a timeline, good luck to you. (laughs) (laughs) The project will never finish, right? (laughs) So it's not to say that this way of living is bad. Mm. It's just that it's one way of living that doesn't necessarily align with the predominant energy in 50% of the population. And so for us, we might need to have three days off a month because we're in pain or we're feeling like we need to rest. But, I mean, we have a seven-day week and five of those days we have to work and we have to work between nine and five. What happens when you have children? What happens if you're breastfeeding? I mean, there is a sense that things are starting to um, become more flexible. But the way of femininity is one which 
is flexible, is mm. changing, is moving. And that's why with all of my work, I align strongly with the moon because symbolically right. the moon is like a woman. Yeah. It changes over the course of 28 days. Mm. You know, it moves from fullness, ripeness yeah. to complete darkness mm. and stillness. And to be able to tap into that is very powerful. Yeah. So when I do a women's circle, I often do it on the new moon. Right. But I also hold full moon practices, which are for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but in a women's circle, it is about connecting to specific aspects of femininity. Right. Which is so huge that perhaps in our daily lives we don't get to yeah. check into yeah. or we don't get to experience or yeah. we don't feel um, safe to be able to um uh, I guess experience. So yeah. it could be, for example, the self care yeah. aspect of being. Yeah. And the last um, women's circle, that's what we did. I talked about self care, I got into some detail, we did some journaling, and then we did some actual yoga practices and pranayama, almost like there's a toolkit for you to take home yeah. and do in the morning or once a week, whenever mm. it works for you. There is something that happens, and this is a really good friend of mine said this to me the other day, there's something magic that happens when women sit in circle together. Yeah. When you sit around with women, I, I can't, there's nothing that I can even say. I don't have to really do anything. Yeah. Because people start to talk, um, you know, things come up. Mm. Um, when you start to share, you realise that there is a combined frustration, uh lack of um, ability to connect yeah. with that feminine aspect uh, and there is a combined energy of support and love that comes in that space which yeah. I mean I try and foster through specific practices through music through all of the senses within that space like yeah. I was saying the shrine and the smells and all of that but in the end there's a sense that I step out mm. and the women bring the energy. Wow. So it's a pretty powerful thing to be able to um, create mm. for me and to witness. Yeah. Uh, and every month it is something different. So this month is about working with the new moon, which is in Leo, which is quite a fiery energy. And yeah. so we just, we kind of use that as inspiration to, okay, let's, Let's tap into that energy within us, a Shakti power, because a woman isn't just soft. And I mean, I'm not teaching yeah. people how to make flower crowns or <laughs> encouraging them to like wear skirts. Or, yeah. That's not what tapping into your divine feminine energy is. I mean, yeah. sometimes I wear, you know, flowing kimonos, but other times, you know, I love androgynous dressing and yeah. sharp shirts and high-waisted pants. And, yeah. you know, that is not necessarily making you any more feminine or masculine yeah. it's about sometimes tapping into that fiery femininity you know yeah. the aspect of if you think about like the mother wolf who is protecting her children you yeah. know they snarl they fight they you know whatever they need to do to look after their brood but it's all it all comes from love right, right. which yeah. is different from say an exaggerated macho which isn't the masculine yeah that's just a cultural kind of exaggeration yeah it's a very different kind of power yeah. and so I think that if women are able to find a power in femininity yeah even when they're in masculine environments it doesn't mean that they have to become um this whole idea of being super soft all the time yeah and it doesn't mean that they have to drop into a machismo yeah. attitude it's about you know what this is what I want and need yeah and it's not about um you know having to meet men yeah um it's about sitting really strongly in your own feminine mm. and it is palpable and you know, everybody can respond to it. Yeah. Because there's a lightness to it too. Like yeah. you can go in and, and sort of say, hey, you know what, I know you wanted to choose that particular material. I'm, I really want to stick to my guns with this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the Victorian ash or whatever, <laughs> whatever your thing is. Or, you know, like, you know what, you guys are behind schedule yeah. and I'm taking the flack for this. 
you need to do something about it and tell me about it. What are you going to do? Let's, you know, I mean, it's, but it doesn't mean that you can't sit and have a cup of tea at the same time or um, you can't be connecting with people on a personal level. Yeah. Because I think that there is so much strength in femininity and it just needs to be tapped into in a way that is natural. Yeah. And um, in a way that isn't competitive Mm. and in a way that, it's a it's a kind of it's a flow it's uh um there's there's kind of this a background of gentleness and nurturing that comes from a feminine energy yeah and when i think about look i mean i was working in india and people always say to me my god that must have been so hard right you were a woman in india Mm. but i i can't really remember that being an issue yeah and i don't know whether it's because I know there was a part of me that dropped into a very masculine way of being, which mm. I know you kind of talked about. Right. I mean, I was shouting at people on site. I mean, I had about yeah. 100 people, 100 men on site that yeah. I was trying to manage with speaking very little Hindi. <laughs> I was basically fighting fires and getting angry at people the whole time. <laughs> and I really, that was another reason why I really got burnt out. Too yeah. much fire, too much heat, too much yeah. anger. But... Um, I don't think that it was really about me being a woman over there. Mm. Um, And I think that even in Australia, the power that I had as a designer came from my ability to connect on a personal level with people. Right. And those um, personal relationships are the things that actually create an incredible project yeah. because you're relying on so many people. It's true. And, you know, I had an incredible builder that I used to work with a lot in Melbourne. He was amazing. He lived down the coast, um, you know, he's a bit of a surfer, one of those. <laughs> so it was kind of easy to connect with him. Yeah. But we would, we would almost meet up for a coffee anyway, yeah. you know, just to hang out. And yeah. we wanted to do the right thing by one another Yeah. as opposed to, other practices um, that I worked at where I remember one of my first jobs, I was put on contract admin yeah. straight out of uni yeah. basically because they knew I could figure out how to do it. Mm. And I'd go on to these building sites. I mean, it, it never really bothered me, but it, it was a very different energy yeah. that I knew I could shift. I think that I've always had the potential to come into a room, sense energy and, mm. and kind of work in a way that I needed to. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's. Um, I think that if you have that ability to connect with people on a human level and find a way where everybody's kind of getting what they need rather than having that forceful directional, this is the only way to go, then there is a sense that you can um, find balance mm. in that kind of environment. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like you're bringing that element of community to a space where it's not Mm. you're not looking down on it as the architect or the designer you're really amongst it and maybe you know using your skills to bring people together and to bring yourself into that environment and not not to look at yourself as someone who has to be a male or a female and we're all people at the end of the day that's right yeah 100 percent. and that's a really good point Mm. community because it takes the ego out of it Um, And if you can come into a project with a humbleness, I think that that is a really nice Mm. trait to have because then you're opening up to everybody. So the people who are going to use the space, the client, has just as much input as the builder who has done this kind of thing, you know, a thousand times before. They know a really good way to do it as well as the engineer. Mm. And then you've got your whole team who has been studying Mm. the beauty, the aesthetics, you know, the form of the built environment for so many years and to be able to go, okay, well, yes, we know this, but they know that. Mm -hmm. They don't know everything. It doesn't mean that you give up all of your design for something else, but it's about seeing how everyone um, comes together to create Mm. something in a way where there isn't that hierarchy. So I think that community idea is beautiful. And that, um, I think that takes away a lot of the um, boundary between masculine, between feminine, then it's like, well, hey, that was a great idea. That was better than what I ever could have done. And look, that used to happen a lot in India. So, you know, I had 100 men 
there are no women on a building site right. over there. Yeah. 100 men working for me, with me, whatever. But I relied so much on their knowledge and their abilities. And for some people, they loved that. Yeah. So I had one particular carpenter who I'd sort of, by you know the end of our um, time together, people were like, what, do you, what language are you speaking? So we like, it's called Hinglish and it's a bit of a mix between Hindi, English and there's a lot of pantomime going on. But I could sort of say to him, this is my general idea. What, what can you come up with? And he would come up with something spectacular. Wow. Really, it was such a collaboration of minds and this guy mm. loved it because mm. no one had given him any kind of autonomy before in his work yeah. creatively. Yeah. But then there were other guys mm. who didn't want that at all yeah you know I mean it was not the way they worked Mm. they didn't want to have to think creatively Mm. um they just wanted to be told what to do and they wanted to leave at the end of the day and every time I told them to redo it they would get annoyed with me Mm. and you know they'd walk off they wouldn't come back yeah for a few days I mean it was different band yeah different people will respond to to that kind of way of working but in the end I mean the client that I had over there and all of the clients I had became some of my closest friends while I was living there and I had to rely on them I mean I didn't know where to find everything I mean Mumbai is a city of 26 million people it is sprawling it Mm. is um so many different neighborhoods Mm. and it can feel quite impenetrable but through the people that I was working with, I could find, okay, this is where we go for mirrors. This mm. is where I need to go to get someone to hand throw something else. I mean, there's yeah. a real sense in India that you're relying on the help and goodwill of everyone. Wow. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing to experience Definitely. and to maybe bring into um, into the working environment in Australia. Because mm. to be honest, I think that a lot of people here would be a lot more open to working autonomously, creatively and bringing input into like the design process from all. What would you say to yourself if you were Mm. back in your shoes in some of those moments? Yeah, I would definitely try not to take things so seriously is my big one. Yeah. I mean, the I would sit at the drawing board because literally I used to hand draw everything <laughs> in the early 2000s. Yeah. I loved drawing actually, but I would sit at my drawing board some nights and would just be wailing. I'd be so stressed out. I'd be crying. My mum would come out and not know what to do. Yeah. And I just think, oh my God, I wish that I could have just chilled the hell out (laughs) you know just brought a bit of lightness into everything and I think that's you know a good thing for me to remember even now when running my own business I can things can start to feel heavy or I can get worried or anxious and Mm. to just be like just lighten up yeah no one's dying here yeah you know let's see how we can Mm. you know inject a bit of lightness a bit of fun a bit of softness to this process rather than um, using old coping mechanisms of working hard to produce a final outcome so that would be the main thing that I would tell myself yeah and you also you wonder when you're in that mode of being so stressed out you almost feel like the stress is helping you to get a better result yeah but is it like no yeah (laughs) that's so true I know yeah and I think that some people yeah, rely on the adrenaline. Yeah, as a and think that without that they can't produce something mm. that is worthwhile. Without mm. all the hard work, without the stress. Mm. Yeah, and to kind of when I I I did some work with a therapist many years ago. I mean, I, I love therapy. I think yeah. it's the best. Yeah. Everybody should have a therapist. Um, <laughs> and years ago, it was just after architecture school, I think, and. I really looked at this pattern of behavior where mm. it was, if I want to get something done, I have to work really, really hard at it. Yeah. And I looked back over my life at the things that were the kind of most successful, the most magical moments in my life. Yeah. And none of them had happened out of hard work. Yeah. They all happened because I was on the dance floor of a wedding yeah. or I had decided that day to um, sleep in yeah. or, you know, all of mm. these things happened because 
of something else, some other kind of force and me allowing myself to drop into yeah. enjoyment and pleasure states yeah. and allowing yourself to feel pleasure mm. and allow pleasure to be a guiding mechanism for you yeah. and to be open to what you might receive that has nothing to do with hard work, mm. nothing to do with um, your resume or how hard you worked at school. Mm. And that was a really interesting moment for me. Yeah. And um, I think that that I was able to shift out of mm. then for a while, mm. knowing that. Mm. That's really interesting to look at. And you also wonder this idea of hard work. I mean, I think, I mean, I definitely think there's another side to, to it, which I'm sure you do daily, you know, in your ritual, you are in another way working hard yes. in a more positive aspect. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, what is effective. And I think that it comes, again, back into that balance. If you think about it as the, a masculine and feminine way of being, it's not about, oh, I'm never going to set up an appointment. I mean, there's a whole heap of yogis who are total space cadets mm. and they can't seem to ground themselves mm. or um, it's always about the feeling. And, I mean, look, that is going to one extreme. And yeah. great if that works for you for your entire life. Amazing. Yeah. But... I mean, I'm always about finding a balance. You yeah. know, there's going to be some times where if I want to get the booklets done for the training yeah. that I'm doing, I actually kind of have to work hard to do yeah. it for a while. But yeah, I have to thinking. really watch, okay, am I also finding a spaciousness, yeah. a flow? Don't get caught in that one way of being for yeah. too long yeah. because it becomes again that ingrained mm. habit the pattern the cycle or the rhythm of your life yeah so yeah. it's okay there's going to be moments of it in your life yeah. I mean even just say having children it's not okay you wouldn't traditionally think that is going to be hard work but that is a hard work period of your life that yeah. you can't just choose yeah. to skip yeah you know if you have a child yeah. you can't just decide no I don't feel like feeding the baby <laughs> you know <laughs> like you've got to do it it's yeah. a set period of your life where you've got to knuckle down but yeah. you don't want to stay in that mode of intense nurturing and caring because what do you do you suffocate a child yeah. becomes a, a teenager who can't do anything for themselves yeah. so it's you know, in every aspect of your life, okay, this is a period I need to work hard, but all right, how can I soften into that as yeah, well? That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I guess my other question is, um, where are you now? And yes. where do you see all this going in terms of yoga and you? And yes. you're, you, it's a very unique path that you've carved out for yourself. Yes. Well, so I founded this business, The Light Collective, that was last year around March. Yeah. And since then, it's been a pretty, um, it's been a pretty interesting and special process to be able to watch yeah. this business really grow. And I'm primarily working with yogic practices like yeah. pranayama and mantra and um, you know traditional yoga and meditation yeah. and. Every month I'll do, like I said earlier, a full moon practice and a new moon practice. And that new moon practice is a women's circle. Right. And um, on top of that, I am also running training courses. And for me, those training courses are kind of very special. Yeah. Uh, because I realized that coming back to Melbourne, a lot of people didn't seem to have the knowledge that I had right. I, I didn't I think that it was all because I spent so much time in India and um, I'd really dedicated myself to a yoga practice for I mean now 16 and 16 to 34 17 years yeah. of of kind of quite dedicated practice and wow. also because I was lucky enough to have such incredible teachers along the way so my knowledge seemed to be different to everyone else's and I think that architectural type a drive yeah. also um is part of um my being so if I want to learn something for example mantra yeah I mean a lot of people say oh, I don't I can't mm. do it it's so hard to learn mantra it's yeah. in Sanskrit how do I do it and I just say well you just have to practice it over and over and over again I mean I would listen to the mantra 
literally thousands of times. Yeah. Not even kidding. Like wow. one of the most powerful mantras is um, the Gayatri mantra. I have listened to that, you know, at least 10,000 times. Yeah. Sung it in so many classes and practices. So for me to be able to start to um, create trainings for people that give them insight into all of these traditions that in the West have in some way or another been lost so that people can teach from their own voice or experience yoga in another way where it's not about doing a headstand or a handstand on Instagram or Mm. having this ideal, perfect yogi body, which is where it can become focused. Um, To be able to do physical practices, even just as a practitioner or to be able to hand them to your students as a teacher or a healer or a facilitator or a massage therapist. I mean, I I get a whole gamut of um, people coming to these trainings. That for me is really um, powerful. So that's a huge thing. And then on top of that, the other stream is doing um, uh, retreats. And that is also really special because... You know, we were talking about vibration and yeah. feeling like you can drop when you're in everyday life. I mean, the special yeah. thing about having a group of people on a retreat is that you get consistent time with them to work on practices so that they can feel that difference. I mean, yeah. you got a month in India. Wow. Yeah. That is so lucky. But a lot of people don't have yeah. the opportunity probably to leave work for a month and they probably don't yeah. have the inclination to do anything other than lie on a beach right (laughs) so if you can go on a short yoga trip to somewhere that um has uh energetic potency where you're in a rainforest or you're by a beach all of that stuff on top of that you're being fed really healthy good food so you don't have to think about cooking yeah you don't have to think about cleaning all of the mundane stuff your everyday life someone is there basically telling you okay Mm -hmm. we're now going to do pranayama we're now going to do a yoga practice now we're going to walk in the rainforest. That kind of thing is so special for me. It's yeah. very effortless yeah. as well for me to teach, but I can see transformations yeah. in people and even more powerful connections between my students. That's yeah. what I love to see. They yeah. all become friends. And yeah. so I also run um, retreats. So moving forward, I'm trying to put together a retreat in japan oh great and that will be in an area called the kumano kodo which where there's a sacred walking trail yeah which is um a pretty special place to be able to experience pilgrimage and yoga Mm. um i'm heading to europe and teaching women's circles over in ireland and yeah and also um a short training over there and doing another women's circle in Paris. Oh, wow. So um, for me, it's about expanding this knowledge and to an extent being physical is really important. So you're teaching people physically, but also training people to teach in this way. And then also, I mean, hopefully kind of start to build online trainings because I can't actually be (laughs) physical all the time. You know, so to be able to do a course on pranayama Mm. or how to connect in with your femininity or all of these kinds of things that I'm doing regularly one-to-one with students that is starting to um, become harder for me as the business grows and you know I have a thousand students Mm. so I can't have private sessions or yeah and so I'm I'm starting to now uh, find ways to Mm. keep true to what I am teaching and to um, share that in ways that are perhaps more efficient. I'd like to give you the opportunity to finish on a quote or a message for anyone. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, this is kind of quite a simple one, really, but it's an important teaching in the tantric practice. And it's where your mind goes, your energy flows. And so that is in your life. So if you are constantly sitting in mundane aspects, if you're looking around at your life and looking at it through a negative viewpoint, then that's what Mm. will kind of cultivate in your life. But if you can start to shift and bring your mind to 
you know, states of awareness or um, to practices that inspire you in a different way, then you'll find new outlets and shifts in your own energy. And when it comes to doing that in your body, it's really powerful too. So when you bring your awareness in a specific posture, you can actually start to cultivate Mm. the energy. Bringing awareness, Mm. say, to the heart will cultivate heart energy. If you bring it into the crown, you can create elevated states of bliss and awareness. Mm. And so to kind of really understand how powerful your mind is in creating and manifesting the world around you. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Diane. You're welcome. Um, Thank you so much for having me and asking such insightful and thoughtful questions. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.